0: Neukölln, legendary district of Berlin with a population of over 320,000, home to a very diverse and increasingly hip population with vast connections into the arts, technology, and unique ideas that occasionally make a big splash heard around the world— there is a lot going on here, and much being said about what many refer to as the front lines of gentrification in the year 2015. Now, you may think you've heard this story before, but don't judge too quickly. There is much more to this story than a few hipsters opening a microbrewery. Though we do have that as well. From Wikimedia Deutschland, I'm Mark Fonseca Renderu, and this is Source Code Berlin. <laughs> Today on the program, we dive into the streets of Neukölln with the help of three different voices, the historian, the writer, and the radio producer, that is to say, Caroline Marburger of Berlin Locals Tours, Paul Hawkins of hencewise.com, and Christian Grasse of keatsradio.org. Each brings with them their own experience working and living in Neukölln, but perhaps even more interesting, as professional observers. Caroline Marburger is a historian and a tour guide with Berlin locals. She spends much of her time outdoors somewhere in Berlin, leading groups of tourists around. She's also a former resident of Neukölln, who has watched the transformation over the past 10 years. When I reached out to her to meet me somewhere in Neukölln for the podcast, she agreed to meet and tell me some stories, and the place where we started on a cold winter's day in front of the former Sudhaus Kindle Brewery, a tall, dark-brown, industrial-looking building looking fresh from the 1930s, crammed in between a big residential construction project and a supermarket. And towards the main avenue, as we stand there in the cold, we have this great view of massive concrete housing structures that look like a design idea from the 1970s. A bad design idea. A reminder that not all of Neu looks hip and chic,
1: it's, it's because it's part of the history what Narcol was, namely a very poor workers' quarter uh, that in the highest times of, of um, economical downfall of the 20s, still the one thing that worked was beer, so yep. very Berlin and very German in that regard, so they built this amazing brewery at the time and it was thriving and, and, and one of the most famous of its time. Um, at the same time now, they closed it in 2005 uh, only, so it's a rather late, closed-down um, part. same hand, very typical for Berlin, those former industrial quarters that now are deserted, and there was, I think, ten, a decade at least of discussions what to do with it, yeah. how to develop it in, to help the neighborhood and um, and surprisingly it was two Swiss, a Swiss couple that came to rescue Mm -hmm. after they wanted to make it into a sort of university campus that was thrown out as an idea and they at least bought two sections, the former brewery, the old part and um, the boiler house and want to make it into a house for contemporary art. Mm. And they actually work together with the community to also open it up to the Keats, as we say, in Berlin for the neighborhood, and and to work in with children and something like that. And at the same time, the former brewery, uh, the cellar, is now used by the rather popular and really good uh, microbrewery called Rollberger, which that's the smell that we smell right now, the brewery actually. And um, at the same time, they are still discussing the many spaces that the whole... Because it's five hectares of land that this whole brewery belongs to. And they are still discussing many of of those places, how they will be used. So now you have the Schwutz now in there, which is one of the most famous or the most famous gay club that moved from Kreuzberg, its former location, to here. Um, And so there are many places that still await uh, their real destiny and how the current current community will use it
0: now let's get it out of the way right now the word gentrification
1: here it's sort of, the G word sort of has, has sets everyone in, in, in horror uh, because they see it happening even though it hasn't actually happened yet. Uh, oh. But it's in the process of happening, uh, particularly here right now, and it's probably f- happening faster than in any other of the districts that are n- usually known to be gentrified already, like Prenzlauerberg and Kreuzberg. Neukölln is still on the verge of it. Mm-hmm. And so many of what sociology would term as the pioneers of gentrification, so those Youngster students that can afford to share a flat which was formerly owned by one family mm-hmm. um, they are of course the ones complaining about it most yeah. uh, while those that actually suffer from it might not even know the word or might actually not be the ones speaking out um, so indeed you have a in, in Neukölln it's I would say in, in a way at least it seems to me the the most extreme because it's very quick and yeah. it it sort of happens to a lot of people that have to move away, and Berlin was always famous for its a lot of sp- the space it had. No. For the because it was so shrunken in population that you always had empty spaces that they might not be the ones that you wanted to live in, but you could still move, and they were decent enough. And that's now changed. So on that side, you see that tension arise, uh, sort of not right here, but they are just moved outward, outside, outside mm. of Nuremberg. However, it's still remaining close by,
0: yeah.
1: um, and so and of course as. We discussed it earlier. Uh, the rent, the explosion of rents, is hardly anywhere more extreme than in Neukölln.
0: Extreme is one word for it, though the estimations vary. A recent piece in the Berliner Morgan Post talks about some parts of Neukölln where rents have gone up 80 percent in the last five years alone.
1: Some some spaces that are renovated and then they can make this incredible change to the uh, to the rent because usually our rent control does. Not allow that but there were certain ways around it so it can happen that indeed instead of the, what I think has become rather common is that by now in Berlin uh, rents are like 20, 30, 40% higher than they were 5 years ago and Neukölln has seen some extreme explosions because of course that has also to do with how incredibly cheap compared to other metropolis Berlin sort of is but the problem is that the Berliner is not the one to afford that it is the Ones that come from elsewhere that can, of course, easily afford it because they have a completely different income.
0: Paul Hawkins is a comedy writer originally from the UK, but now based in Neukholm since 2013. He doesn't claim to know all the answers about what is happening to the neighborhood. He doesn't even see his own example as typical, but he does see a never-ending trove of stories all around him.
2: I knew someone who lived on the street that I moved to and, uh, and 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 through a sort of friend of a friend of a friend, she knew a cleaner whose wife knew a landlord who uh, had a flat that came free. And uh, <clears throat> at this point, I didn't know anything really about the rental market in Berlin or how hard it was to find a flat. And then suddenly someone offered me a, a free flat and they said, just turn up. You don't need any documents. You just give this guy a call. And then I met him and five minutes later, I had the keys in my hand, signed the contract, uh, didn't exchange any papers or any details. The guy didn't even really know my second name. Uh, and suddenly I just had a flat in, in Neukölln. And then uh, it would later turn out that the reason I didn't have to give him any documents was he was a complete crook and no one in the building had to give him any documents, which made my neighbours quite an amusing and interesting assortment of noikon characters, let's say. So I, I went there to visit it and uh, there was just a small... Um, uh, one room flat and uh yeah i talked to the landlord for uh really a few minutes exchanging uh baffling small talk in a mixture of bad german and bad english and he was even using some latin words at some point just as we were really trying to bridge the bridge the, the communication gap with whatever party we could find um uh, and yeah he really just he really just gave me this flat straight out of the blue and then it was really um Weeks or months before I would actually find out how hard it, how hard it was to find a flat in Berlin and how normally you have to have so many documents and you have to have guarantees and rental contracts and Schufa um, documents and I really had none of these as a sort of you know, vaguely traveling writer of no fixed income on paper. I looked terrible, and the last person you would give a flat to, but this guy just uh, I think he just saw foreigner. Uh, new berlin and that i would pay the the new price if you like for the flat um and so at the time i really didn't realize that i didn't even realize i was kind of moving into a this a gentrification debate this house was really on the the front line of what you might call the gentrification debate and i mean and, w- and what was interesting about it i think was really that um in the year i was there how much it changed like it's, it started off as a lot of people in sort of, you know, I guess you would say social housing conditions. My next door neighbor was like a raging alcoholic uh, who uh, we would drink in the afternoon together. And he uh, yeah, has like had nine fingers, had a finger missing. And on the first morning I was there, he came around and asked me to photocopy a picture of a picture of him holding an assault rifle just just would get demonic drunk every day uh there was a prostitute working in the building there was people like junkies shooting up in the in the corridors people having sex in the hallway uh just every every kind of sort of you know character like this that you could imagine and of course this this landlord who as i briefly mentioned is a complete crook uh in that year that I lived there, he was just trying to get them out. So, what you might call kind of the old characters, the poor people essentially, were just slowly getting there, you know, being taken to court, getting chucked out. And then by the end of the year and a half, the hallways were all painted and all the graffiti was gone. Uh, and, you know, maybe I think I must have seen five or six flats get chucked out and then of course get replaced by a graphic designer from Italy and some Argentinian guy who just rents it on Airbnb and just like you know essentially the gentrifying crowd if you want to call it that and then I lived there for a year and a half and then I've moved this summer fairly recently to a like fully gentrified area there's there's no area more gentrified than where I am now you walk out the door and there's like people riding unicycles playing the ukulele to each other and wearing berets People
0: riding unicycles, playing ukulele to each other, wearing berets. In 2002, urban studies theorist and international celebrity Richard Florida published his book The Rise of the Creative Class and How It's Transforming Work, Leisure, and Everyday Life, which became this holy grail for urban planners and mayors throughout the world looking for ways to turn bad or depressed neighborhoods around. Anywhere you look in the world, you can find attempts to attract the artists, the programmers, the people with an idea looking for a place to try it out. And Berlin neighborhoods such as Prinz Lauerberg, Friedrichshain, Kreuzberg are considered successful examples of this. And only a few years ago, it seemed like the new target would be, and still is, Neukölln. Once again, Caroline Marburger.
1: For many, it has become the one thing that is that deserves the name up and coming. There are many quarters that have been labelled as such, but sort of wedding is still not there. Uh, but North is sort of considered the sort of hub for new, the new creative young community, and so uh, at the same time, it has the it always was a social hotspot. So something of a problem quarter for many, and so that mix between the new affluent immigrants of today and the less affluent of the earlier decades uh, makes much of its charm and problems.
0: So what does the creative class say? We spend so much time talking about them instead of to them. Is working in Neukölln a key factor in making art or doing the work you love to do? I pose this very question to Paul Hawkins.
2: I mean, I loved it. I absolutely loved that house. Um, for me, it was, it was like living on a, living on a mountain of stories and not a day went by when something weird, just, just like odd, just really fucking odd would, would happen. Um, and so as a writer, like it was, you know, I would just collect, collect all this ammunition for, for great anecdotes. But on the other hand, it was also kind of scary and kind of dangerous. And, uh, in particular, my girlfriend didn't really like it so much. Uh, and I think, yeah, for me, I kind of enjoyed the the scarier side of it as well, but there was a scarier side of it. There was really a lot of trouble and a lot of fights but i mean i'm writing I'm writing comedy books, so i mean it's not like uh, n- none of that stuff is really necessarily good <laughs> good fodder for my work the The human tragedy of that house, but uh, it certainly certainly inspires some some good creativity, I would guess. I just finished writing a book um uh, two days ago, in fact. Uh, So I haven't left my house in like a month and a half. I've just been a disgusting sort of horrible shuffling creature in jogging pants and just smelly, awful drinking, boozing, swearing, caffeinated, just horrible wreck. Uh, so I've kind of forgotten what outside is like, but I'm sure when I go out again, you know, tomorrow I will rediscover some places.
0: Back on the street now, day had become night, and that brought the extra cold temperatures of Berlin winters. My guide took me past the massive cement apartments of the wehr berlin Straße, to karl marx where grey suddenly turned to colours and lights, and yes, a slightly more this-is-the-place-to-be kind of feeling. And as we walked along this popular street, we found a warm refuge in an almost-hidden cafe uh, that was just behind the courtyard, which seemed like it was from a forgotten time, a colonial era, complete with high ceilings painted in gold and fans like we're in 1920s Cairo. A good place as any to bring up the question, who benefits from all this change going on in Neukölln?
1: Well, I think as I had friends recently who kind of used, intermediately at least, um, a whole house on Karl for some um, artistic projects. Um, right now, there is still space for exactly that. There's a reason why young artists and programmers and graphic designers and musicians move to Neukolln because those spaces are around. And I think Neukolln also knows about this. And so you kind of, you know, you're drawn to it. Um, for example, around the corner from here, you have. Save Contemporary, where uh, they just opened a massive former transformation plant into a performance space and have their residents there, and so people that have ideas, as long as they're able to pitch them and have a certain way to get funding, um, there is there is a way to do that in Nikon. So I had a friend ask me lately about places because she wanted to do uh, an exhibition, and I was like, well... Kong, its the place to do that. Yeah. To find places and to find the people that will be willing to—that um, might have the space for it—and they are willing to do that because they are still that, those pioneers that, that have the passion for it—and and for that, I understand that why. It, sort of people from all over the world right now are drawn to my crown. The kind of people that now live here and are drawn here were drawn to Prenzlauberg in the 90s uh, because anything was possible in Prenzlauberg, it seemed at the time. Um, Anything was incredibly affordable and much less, uh, much more affordable than anything now. Mm -hmm. Um, And so at some point of course it was saturated and price grew and clubs moved away and all those sort of little corners and niches died away there are still some there are still some um and that's the beauty of it that even in Berg, there's always a corner and a niche that still keeps going um but of course uh, Neukölln um less had a different charm to it it was it is from West Berlin it isn't that completely empty space it has a sort of history that where the the former dwellers are still around uh, because indeed Prenzlauer Berg there are of course former people that lived there for a long time that are still around but it's a very very young neighborhood. This is too but it also is young because of the former migrant communities um, all the slash Germans that now live here that have very many kids Mm -hmm. and so it's a young quarter also because of that, it's one of the youngest quarters of Berlin, not only because of the new arrivals but also among, because of the massive kid community that uh, those sort of families have created so um, it's a different kind of story in Prenzlauer Berg usually people bought a flat or Maybe a house. Um, and it was usually locals that wanted to use it for their own purposes. Um, and or Americans or those that use it half of the year. In Neukölln, and that I noticed during my Looking for an apartment was indeed that you have whole blocks built, uh, bought up by one company by one investor, and and then sort of renovated all in one, and then rented out. And so there are many now global players. Um, so I, I, there was a documentary on Berlin, and it's weird to hear Berlin and Tirana in one breath, but that's that they said these are the hotspots for um, for people selling houses these days, because it's indeed the the, um, profit that you can make from um, investment in, in housing in Berlin is immense, at least it was over the last five years.
0: Artists seeking affordable space, immigrants from around the world, Berliners who no longer fit in other neighborhoods, and yes, international real estate investors. They're all here or on the way. But how difficult is it to settle here for, say a busy writer from the UK
2: being being part of the EU and being part of the Schengen zone coming over here to work is is incredibly easy i have friends from canada and i have friends from russia for example who are also uh <clears throat> making lives here or trying to make lives themselves here and and the and the kind of work they have to go through just to do the very basic stuff is is incredible for me a, a, a flat landed in my lap uh working here is is fine and is you know on the books and easy uh, my girlfriend is, is German, so I have the advantage of having like a permanent life carer just take, taking me around and uh, every time something scary in German confronts me, which is above my above my uh, level of expertise, I just push her slightly forward and she deals with that. So, I mean, in that sense, it was very, very easy to to make a life. There wasn't so many barriers, really. And of course, uh, um, coming from London, the, the rent prices are... Perhaps two or three times cheaper to live in nicer places in nicer areas, Um, and I think I mean I think but the main reason that people move here, of course, is not that it's it's so cheap, but because that relative cheapness buys so much. uh, Relatively, the kind of the kind of life you can afford here on smaller money is 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 very different to somewhere like London or New York, for example.
0: Christian Grasse, you like my semi-German pronunciation, he's a German radio and podcast producer based in Neukölln. Now, among his work is the Neukölln-focused podcast Keats Radio, which looks at history, places, and personalities in the neighborhood. Now, why an audio podcast? I started with that very question.
3: Well, I mean, when I when I came to Neukölln, I think it was seven seven years ago, um, well, obviously, it at this time there was already a lot of things happening and it seems, it seemed at the time that that the whole place is changing so quickly and, and there's such a big dynamic, uh, that I wanted to kind of, um, well, first of all, keep track of it myself to understand what's going on because so much is, is changing. I mean, not only this whole gentrification debate, uh, but also, um, well, because change in general has always interested me. So I, I uh, kind of was looking for an excuse to talk to people um, about the change in, in, in Neukölln. And then I thought, well, why not doing a podcast and kind of documenting the this whole process of uh well you could call it gentrification but there's always there's a debate behind it that i don't really like Um because i mean every every city and every urban area is is changing i guess it's it's because it's full of people and people tend to do things they do and so pe- and and so things change and and always uh, i think it's it's not not that interesting for me to always look at the you know criticism of things it's it's very important to criticize things but anyway I just wanted to document the change, but not only from my point of view, but also, of course, from, from other people's point of view, um, people who lived in the neighborhood for for a long time, who have maybe been born there and lived all their life there, and people who just moved in and are those people who change things. Um, yeah, that's, that's what interested me. And uh, I think a podcast is a very, very nice way to document such a change because it's not so intrusive like when you use a camera and and have people like you know visually and i think when you just talk to people and and do it like in an um well just do a radio uh, they tend to be more open i guess and uh, that's what fascinated me yeah to do to do that the original idea actually was to kind of record things people and places that might not be there in i don't know one two three four years to kind of preserve uh, some stories that might not be uh, being told in 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 a few years time that was the original idea but then i thought it it's also difficult to to kind of judge you know there's also a st- kind of a, a judgment behind it if, if i say well this is worth to uh, preserve and other things are not so i w- or we decided not not to do this approach because there's too much stuff actually too too many people too many places and too many things that are so interesting and uh, it's it's very difficult to decide which one you go for but then we kind of uh, focused on uh, things that change now or that have changed in the past. There's There was one place I remember, uh, I don't know if you have been there, the Klunkerkranich. It's just the, you know, the top level of the park deck from the uh, Neuköllner Karten at the um, uh, U-Bahn uh, Rathaus Neukölln at the U-7 uh, U-Bahn station. And this, this has always been like a secret place and uh you know people went up there you can't really go up there because the the elevator is only going to the fifth floor where the uh, library is and then it stops and there's just a park deck and there's you know it's full of cars and you don't really know that there's something above there but a few people knew and so you you could also you could walk up not there were no steps but you could you know go up the spiral where the uh cars were parking then you had to go over like there was a chain you could just step over and then you could walk up another deck and then you were on the roof and uh, that this has always been some kind of a magical place for only a few people who knew about it because you had you have a wonderful view uh over in Neukölln and and over the whole of Berlin and it's it's awesome and you know maybe three years ago or four years ago uh, this secret wasn't a secret anymore and more and more people went up there and, uh, and then I think two years ago there was the, the people from the, um, uh, they did a bar in the Weserstraße um, Fuchs and Elster. They, uh, got in touch with the, uh, company who owns the park deck and then they rented the, the top level and uh, created a bar there and a, and a garden, uh, like an urban small garden project. And when we heard about that, that you know there will be a like a bar up there and, and some I don't know uh, hipster place, we were we were very skeptical. And uh, so I, yeah, so we we got in touch with them and and asked if we could go there. And that was the time when they were just started uh, when they just started to build the the bar, and we talked to them, and we were quite skeptical and and then you know we we talked to them for two hours and and uh, we realized well there's they're really nice people and they and they take such a big effort to um Kind of pay up to this place because they know it has always been a secret and it has been such a special place for so many people. So they didn't want to kind of own this place. So they tried to open up and, and, and invited the people to, um, well contribute to the place and i mean officially it is their place now because they rent it and they they uh, they have their responsibility up there and 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 they have the like they can rule up there but still they are very open and their approach to this whole problematic of gentrification and you know building up new bars and and clubs and all that stuff um, well their approach fascinated me because they know about the debate and they were looking for n- new ways to deal with this problem and after talking to them for three hours and you know uh looking at how they did this whole construction stuff on their own and all diy and so on i i realized okay this this is something that that i really didn't expect at all mm. And yeah, that, that fascinated me. And that also gave me hope for for uh, this debate that's going on uh, that so many people complain about, um, you know, that there's too many, quote unquote, bad people who take away our neighborhood. I mean, that, that, can, that it can be done in a different way.
0: Christian, you didn't always live in Berlin or Neukölln for that matter. Uh, tell us about the chain of events that brought you there.
3: I grew up in a small town outside of Berlin uh, and then when I finished school it was like everyone who was born there it uh, didn't stay there and and most of the people went to Berlin and and that was for me that was 2002 um and I went to to Friedrichshain and uh well later on when Friedrichshain became too expensive for us it was like I don't know the, this whole circle of friends was divided in a way that, uh, you know, half of the people decided they will move to wedding and the other half decided to move to Neukölln. And I was really undecided. And then, well, I, I decided to leave Berlin, uh, anyway. And when I came back in 2009, you know, my closer friends, they lived in Neukölln and then I decided to go to Neukölln. And at that time it was really, s- well a lot different different from now for example when you were looking for a flat it was like you had so much uh i mean there were so many places that were empty and and when you wanted to rent a place you you know when you when you go for for a flat now there's at least 50 or 60 other people who who also uh want this want the place and and the rents going up and at that time it was like i don't know uh, the people who owned the place, who rented it to you, they gave you i don't know a thousand euros to uh you know to to for paint and 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 to so you could do your own stuff there and said well the first three months are free uh but uh, but only if you agree to uh, stay here for at least one year um you know that that was the deal at the time and uh, you could rent a a flat i don't know a three-room flat 70 80 square meters for i don't know 300 400 euros um a month and and those things obviously have changed a lot in the last maybe four years three four years and because i when i came here it was just before the actual hype started, and that's actually a, a story we also talked about with the uh, in, in, in the latest Kids Radio uh, with the uh, Freies Neukölln, uh, one of the first bars in in the Weserstraße, in you know in, in the Reuterkids, which is like the Kreuz Köln uh, uh, area, and because they started their bar eight years ago. Or nine yeah, eight years ago, and uh, they were the first like bar for you know for the new Neukölln people, uh, for artists and and musicians and startup people who just, and 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 uh, students, and they actually only opened the bar because they didn't have a place to go in Neukölln, so they said, well, just wh- why don't we just open up a bar, so we don't have to go to Kreuzberg or Frischlein or whatever anymore, and. And after this bar started, um, a lot of other bars came and, you know, then there were newspaper articles about this actual bar and how cool it is. And then, so they started the hype in a way, uh, and now just at the end of the year, they closed down because they couldn't afford the rent anymore because, uh, the, the, the owner wanted a ridiculously amount of rent, uh, they they could have actually paid for but the owner said well i don't want you here anymore so the bar that actually start, started the the hype closed down because of it <laughs> and that's that's ironic in a way um so they told us the whole the whole story about how they started and the what happened during the 8 years and that was very fascinating uh, to see how this this small urban area um, changed, and the the idea that it began with is seems to be gone. And uh, you know this this idea of having an open space, having a, a place for op- for different ideas, for different approaches. Um, yeah, it seems it seems to be gone. <laughs>
0: By now, anyone listening knows the reoccurring themes here. A poor district with lots of space and a low cost of living, an influx of people from many different places, including artists and people of so-called new economy uh, practices who can work from anywhere but seek to live somewhere interesting and are often willing to pay more for the privilege, the neighborhood then becomes too expensive, Former and current residents criticize it, or they fight to stop some of these changes. Many move on to a new, similar scenario. This all starts to feel like a cycle. Some might even say it's the new normal for urban development.
3: You know, it's really fascinating that this, this whole, um, the cycle is 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 so much faster, and it's. I mean, this, this whole thing happened, of course, in places like, like I said, in Friedrichshain, in Mitte, in, in Prenzlauberg. Um, but it seems like, uh, people who started things in, in Friedrichshain or in Prenzlauberg, uh, it took a lot of time there and they, they learned how to, I don't know, start a new bar, start a new whatever. And because they kind of professionalized their, doings it it became so much quicker in neukern and I mean it's really when you when you leave because i mean when when you will come back next time uh when you will be back in Berlin things will have changed already <laughs> i mean there's there's so much new bars opening it feels like almost every week i I really can't keep track of it anymore i don't I don't say it's a bad it's a bad thing it's just what happens um and because there is so much going on it feels like people are losing the you know the the kind of perspective for the for the whole thing because they they a lot of people seem to have a very narrowed point of view or a, a very narrow perspective on their uh, neighborhood um that that's what worries me a bit People seem to only care about the place they want to go to uh, or their special place because there's... there's, I mean, that's also a good thing, right? Because everybody has a place to go to. There's uh, so, spe- so many special interest places. I mean, if it's a bar, if it's a um, uh, co-working space and, and all that, people live, live, like, I don't know, it seems to me like people started to live next to each other but not with each other.
0: I was there exploring Neukölln and all these themes of change and struggle that came with it. It happens that the district mayor, Mr. Heinz Buschkowski, he steps down. His tenure as a mayor was marked by not so much uh, becoming a hip area, but by his frequent speeches and warnings about integration and relations between neighbors of varying backgrounds. Because, of course, Neukölln is the most multicultural district of Berlin and quite possibly of Germany.
1: Now Köln is, with Mitte, the most multicultural district of, of um, whole the whole city. So it has 40% migrants um, of mostly Turkish, Arab, and Russian background, mostly. But it's like the biggest accumulation of nations actually in the whole city. And so it's and for Germans, because I think internationally it has more the more the reputation of the new hyped uh, hub but in Germany if you go outside Berlin sometimes the, the thing that they connotate that they think of when they hear Neukölln is indeed conflict is social conflict because there was this big scandal in 2006 about one school uh, where the teachers sort of de- resigned because they said they could not handle the violence and the problems uh, and Rutli Rütlich School became sort of infamous for that and it started a whole discussion about how to uh, integrate migrants into the into the society which Germany was very late in realising that it was an immigrant country after all. And so and that stuck with people. It's sort of what certain districts across the borders of Berlin in Germany have of course a certain sound to them. And so today for a certain generation definitely Neukölln still stands for the troubles of a lack or um, misled integration. I
3: think the, the, what's also special about Neukölln is that there has maybe in the past 50 years or so there has never been uh, a group or it I mean Neukölln has always been changing because um, there are a lot of uh, people here from from other parts of the world I mean I think the the um I think it's well, it depends how you define uh foreigners, but I think it's between twenty or forty percent of Neukölln, which I always really, really loved. Because it's a there's nothing like it in Germany, I think. Um and that's that's what I find so interesting. I mean when I go out of the door there's um there's of course Turkish people um there's russian people next door there's um i, I think vietnamese uh, people and and now the latest uh, you know new group of people is of course a lot of english speaking people um and and i think it's 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 just it's nice I, I really like that and people seem to get along well i mean i when i go when I go out i although the image of Neukölln is not the best uh, when it comes to you know str- violence on the street and all that but I personally never experienced any any bad things um, I, I i just I love it I mean I love this diversity of people um the only thing I criticize is that like I said it i would f- I would like it more if, if people would lo- uh, look after Uh, each other more and not just do their own thing.
2: Again, like I say, I moved in the last six months and so now I am, you know, a a normal, I'm so normal here. (laughs) Like maybe in the, maybe in the, in the, in the house in Nookan, there was a bit more judgment going on. But I mean, at the same time, I felt like everyone who lived in that house We were all so involved with each other's lives because the walls were thin and everyone was outside all the time. People would leave their doors open, blasting music out, and there would be like lots of talking in the corridors and stuff and just crazy goings on. But at the same time, as well as us all kind of living on top of each other like that, we were also all living very parallel lives. Like we were kind of united by living in this one building, but... You know, very people had so little in common. There was like a Turkish family of like six or seven people in one flat on one side, then a guy who's lived there for like fifty years and and seen bombs crush the roof and fires over the years, and then above him there's a guy who's just running it out on Airbnb, and then now there's like some English writer in one of the flats, and do you know what I mean? So it's like kind of. I think there, there was judgment, but the judgment was going in all directions. There was like the, the Polish guy being racist to the German guy and the German guy shouting abuse at the Turks. And like, there was a, there was definitely judgment going in all directions there. So any, any judgment thrown at me would have just been, I don't know, somehow normalized. Just, you wouldn't really notice it.
0: In many debates about the merits of this kind of development, you'll hear the side that says, well, all these creative types coming in, this brings an increase in tax revenue and better schools and facilities. Is that what Neukölln has in store for its residents? I pose this question back at Cafe Rick's to Caroline Marburger.
1: Um, It is partly happening. So, for example, the school I just mentioned actually has now become a model school of sorts, because not only because of the neighbourhood changing, but indeed because of the changes one did after that scandal. So it now has become indeed role model for how to how to deal with such a community and trying to have from the very start of school to the very end a sort of same setup not not this typical thinning out of migrants towards the end of uh, of the career um, so that because of course the problem is usually that they get lesser degrees and the very sort of let 's say old school system that Germany still has with those three tires of, of different levels, elite levels, let's say. Um, and very often migrant kids being stuck at the lower end of that, trying to have a more unitarian, in a way, uh, approach. It really works out. And of course, the thing that you described, that sort of gentrifying... The, the profiting part is true for this section which some people call the locality of Neukölln or North Neukölln but Neukölln is a wider district really really big going down south and the problems that Neukölln was known for are not gone yet sometimes they have had have been lessened right here yeah. but they sometimes have just been moved to those more southern districts and the more modernist um, 60s 70s um, districts where those social problems still are, and they haven't been really solved. They just have been pushed away.
0: Doing a program that focuses on Neukölln, you're always aware that this is a very popular topic. Having been written about not only in German, but in global media for the past few years, it almost feels overdone. And one thing I wondered was, what aspect a Neukolm local would say is the most overlooked, the thing that people really don't hear about? Once again, Christian Grasse.
3: Well, first of all, I think it's, it's, it's a very good thing to write about because it's a very classical situation because there seems to be a conflict, right? A conflict of interests. It's always something good to talk and write about. Um, but I think they, they miss the, the actual everyday life. I mean, whenever you read about uh, this whole gentrification debate you all you the only thing you read about is like i don't know left-wing people who who are um, aggressively uh, uh against the gentrification and all that or you hear about uh, the new success of i don't know new bars and new startups who who, who do their do their thing um or you hear about people who can't afford the rent anymore or you hear about uh those terrible uh, house owners who raise the rents and all that that's actually just a, a small perspective of the whole picture i mean the everyday life is is vibrant is uh, diverse fascinating yeah i mean i think that's that's what what's missing
1: I think if you walk around and you ask some of the locals that have been living here for ages, I think there's a very split um, opinion, but also favorable of the changes. not I think it's sometimes the the students that of course see the problem that they don 't find affordable rooms anymore, but sometimes if you would ask old sort of locals, they might say like i don 't mi- i don 't mind it 's a very weird change these days, but i don 't mind that things have cleaned up and that there are now nice, nice cafes around so I have. Uh, it's a very odd theory. It might be completely off limits here, but um, it's uh, th- there is this known term that Berliners use for their neighborhoods, Keats, mm-hmm. um, which derives from uh, some some old distinct settlements outside the city, close to the city, and uh, some it has been very often used negatively. So there is the Keats or. Half negatively, the Keats in Hamburg, which is the the red light district, um, but in Berlin it usually is used to describe a neighbourhood that is not necessarily defined by its borders, but more or less it's sort of a, a, a sort of a neighbourhood you live in and the social net that it has. In a way, you, you have everything you need inside your Keats So many people never leave their Keats, one says, because they have everything they need. Mm-hmm. And so I think here it's sort of tried to describe a certain distinct setting, but also a sort of integrated setting. And and that Keats patriotism, because Berliners usually are patriots of where they grew up, the neighbourhood they belong to, not, not the city. Somewhat, it comes with it, but um, usually they know best about their neighbourhood and I think that feeling that, of course, Berlin is an agronomic uh, sort of a big accumulation of villages and small neighborhoods. Um, sometimes serve that purpose that you have uh, rather, particularly here, more left liberal uh, tendencies. And the idea that you want to do something for the neighborhood, I think, is, is also part of that thing that Keats is actually a word that has only been used more and more and more over the last years. Because one tries, like, this is this Keats and this is this Keats. And I think people start to like the concept.
2: Yeah, it's it's still a great place. I mean, it's there's so much so much great about it. I mean, and I think if you ask the same question, what is is Neukölln going to be doing in five years? Well, it's probably going to be Kreuzberg, um, and then you'll be making your program about wedding or somewhere else in German, in, in Berlin. Um, but I mean, yeah. Neukölln no, has a lot of great stuff going for it. I mean, I still go to Tempelhof regularly. It's a really that's a really a, a gem of a place for any city to have. Yeah. I think it was the first time where my, my cynicism about politics melted away in front of my eyes. That I was really w- w- looking at this petition popping up here and there and everywhere, and of course signing it, and really having very little hope for for uh, its success. And of course, that was completely wrong. Uh, so yeah. It's a it's a positive a positive story.
0: The story of Tempelhof Airport, one of the big stories of Neue Köln in recent history, is one that is so significant we will dedicate a podcast to it in the near future. But clearly, these three voices are telling us something. They're saying yes, something is going on here. No, it isn't all rainbows and roses, but there are things here to be inspired by, learn from, and to be a part of.
3: When it comes to to our uh, podcast, uh, one very interesting uh, thing we did is uh, visiting a brewery uh, here in Neukölln, um where they brew local local beer, and and that's something I, I really like because I every time I go out, I drink this beer, and uh, to know uh, who it me- uh, who made it and how it's been made, and uh, you know just know the guy the just you know whenever i go drink a, a beer uh, i just ha- in front of me in front of my inner eye I, I i see the guy who's doing the who's brewing the beer and and he's listening loud punk music while he's doing it and um uh, yeah that that's uh, something uh, really cool uh, one podcast we did with also a an h- historian and uh, we walked along Neukölln and uh, he told us about the colonialism and the era in which Neukölln was also of course part of and this this historic view on uh, places how they have been shaped 150 years ago and uh, that was also um, very interesting and that would be something I would recommend for everyone to um you know to to understand what Neuköln is and berlin is it, it, people forget that uh the place they live in of course we are, we are all living in the now but at every place has a history and um i think it's important to to uh well kind of at least take notice of that and and also look around and uh talk to people who do things that you do not do
0: Christian Krasse is a radio producer and host of Keats Radio. You can find him at keatsradio.org. Caroline Marburger is a historian and tour guide with BerlinLocals.com. And Paul Hawkins is probably showered by now, having completed his latest book, How to Be an Adult. And you can find his writing at HenceWise.com. As for the story of Kolm, well, that story is ongoing. So let's not close the book just yet. There are many chapters to be written. It is and will continue to be a source of inspiration as well as debate. And as this program focuses on open creativity and those living in Berlin, this is certainly not the last we will hear about this rapidly changing neighborhood. That about does it for this edition of Source Code Berlin. Thanks to all those who have commented or just shared the program with your friends and network. Please keep doing that. Source Code Berlin is a Wikimedia Deutschland podcast. Find us at sourcecode.berlin. Follow us on Facebook, Source Code Berlin, or on Twitter, at SRC Code Berlin. Special thanks today to famed chef and Neuköln resident, Susie Fracassa, for additional research in today's program. Music was by the Blue Dot Sessions and Rocket Max, which you can find on the Free Music Archive. This podcast is published under a CCBYSA 4.0 license and edited by me. Until next time, I'm Mark Fonseca Rendeiro.